Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we revisit the touchy subject of dealing with stewarding our money. Specifically, we're going to address how the scriptures define how we should give, our motives, the manner of our giving, and how it ought to be a ministry of love to our Lord that exemplifies the righteousness of Christ as seen through a generous spirit. Thanks for listening today as we look to Jesus' instructions for Christian giving. So I ordered this new trophy that we're going to give out to whoever donates the most money. How's that sound? Big, big trophy, right? We'll, we'll put your name on it, right? Who thinks that sounds like a good idea? Bad idea. Yes, I didn't do that. I didn't order that trophy. How crazy would that be? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a little or a lot crazy if we started to think about how we give to, to God as actually bringing some form of merit or identity or self-worth to us? Because who then are we worshiping, really? Right? It, it, it's I'm doing this now for the wrong reasons. Now, let me ask you a tougher question. Has anyone ever been guilty of giving for the wrong reasons? Has that ever, has that ever happened with you? Uh, I want us to see that uh, money is for us a kind of very crafty master. It sneaks up on us without us even recognizing that it has taken hold of us. And in so doing, many of us have found at times either trapped by its deceit such that we think it's actually a merit upon how very generous I am to give. Or on the other side of things, we think, well, I cannot give. Because money has to be served rather than whatever the need is. And I think that at some point in every one of our journeys of faith, we have oscillated between these two temptations. Either to be afraid to give because we might run out of money. Or to be doing it for a kind of self-aggrandizement. Looking more to what it says about us than what it says about the one who's provided with us, us with those funds. Now, there's no place where this becomes more acute than when it comes to passing the plate at church. No amens on that? Okay, I'm pretty sure they're there, right? Uh, That when it comes time for us to give to God, I wonder if we've really thought deeply and, and biblically about the manner by which we are instructed to give. Because you know we are. The Bible actually has almost more to say about your possessions and your management of money than almost any other topic. And so we have been in the stewardship theme for many, many weeks now. Uh, We've cycled through three primary entrustments that God's given to you. Uh, They don't belong to you. They belong to him. You, however, are tasked as a manager of these resources that come from God. So your time, your work, that's the energy that he gives you, and also money. And so here on this last go-around for money, uh, I'd like us to examine in depth Uh, The subject of tithing, the subject of giving to God's work in a community and how you and I ought to have our values and priorities, um, our perspectives on giving, that they would not be formulated according, according to any particular church tradition. You know, this is just how we do it here or any other cultural influence, but rather that they would be informed by God's word. That's the goal for this morning. Now, in order to do this, 
I, I, I've spent, and if you look at your sermon notes, you'll see that this is going to take two and a half hours to get through. Uh, this is, there's so much information on this. I, there's no way I can cover it all exhaustively, but I'm going to try. I mean, we're going to go, we're going to go very deep today. And I thought as I was putting this together, well, what if you had somebody who, who's just new to church that came to visit this morning? What, what if that person is sitting here today and I might think, well, I, they're probably not going to come back, first of all, right? I'm going <laughs> to blow them out of the water with this. But instead, you know what? It might be important for the expression of this teaching to be offered such that you don't have to have been a Christian for two decades to get this. This ought to be something that all of us can understand. And so that's going to be my goal this morning. My, my goal is to explain this in such a way that you could be a baby Christian and you could leave this place saying, okay, I think I get it. I, th- I think I understand the way the New Testament outlines the stewardship of my money such that I am able to be generous with it in a, in a few particular categories that God defines for us. That's my goal. And in order to do that today, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses so this is going to feel a little bit like Bible study. You're going to see a lot of verses up here on the screen. Um, but that's, I'm giving you a heads up. This is the trajectory of where we're headed this morning. A lot of information under four primary categories, um, and all of which are going to be substantiated and supported through God's word. A few of them are going to be long. So if you're with me, give me an amen or something. Amen, amen or something. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, we're going to start with a little bit of review as this is our, our last go around in here. The action of stewarding time looks like redemption. You are to redeem your time. The term for this is reconstitution. You've only been given so much time and so you could use it for yourself or you could reconstitute it. You could give it a different purpose. That is the act of redeeming time. When it comes to our worst work, The action of the Christian is to be a blessing for our work. Very thankful for Chris's message from last Sunday. Um, Heard from many of you how impactful his own witness was as somebody working in the secular world for the kingdom of God and how very important it is to do what Scripture tells us, which is to be a blessing to our co-workers, to serve those we work alongside. Um, Raise your hand if you get along with everybody at work. I three hands or four pennies very generous that's penny though so yeah so uh in reality this should be something that god challenges you to do uh that you are to be a blessing what 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 is this called theologically well this is re-consecration so this is bringing that which is sacred back into the secular realm of our workplace you are bringing holiness into the place Where it's absent, you are bringing light into darkness. Everybody with me on those reminders? Well, here we are for today. What about our money? Well, the act of stewarding money is for the purpose of being generous. Uh, This is going to go, as we'll see this morning, this is going to go beyond just money. We are to be generous as Christians in, in every area of our lives. And I've offered us the theological term for this as reconciliation. Reconciliation as a term of accounting like you would in your checkbook, making sure you recognize where the money comes from. And so just as a point of review for us, all of your money that you've worked so hard for, who does it belong to? Good. That's right. It it all belongs to God. How about your work, the energy that he's given you, those talents? Who do those belong to? 
It all belongs to God. How about your time? Your very life. Who's it belong to, church? God. It all belongs to God. And so th- this is the, ho- hopefully as we've gone through this week after week, uh, we've really worked to reshape our understanding of stewarding these resources to make sure that we're handling them in the way that recognizes God as the ultimate owner of all of these things. Well, for this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, um, and we're going to read through uh, a, a four short verses at the beginning of Matthew 6. What, what we're going to do is we're going to see that there is on the surface what is almost a duh, like obviousness to what Jesus is saying. We're, we're going to get that real quick. But then what we're going to do is we're going to look at the structure of Jesus's instruction. He, he's going to highlight for us four categories of how we think about the work of being generous. And of those four categories, we're going to develop biblical teaching under each of them. That's, that's the trajectory for where we're going this morning. So Matthew chapter 6, we'll read through it. We'll show the four categories which are buffeted by biblical principles, and then we're going to expand each of them. That's the direction for this morning. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is a common term that's used for giving in church. It's called the tithe. little interaction for you today. Just show me a show of hands if you've heard that term before. I've heard the term tithe. I think almost everybody. Uh, yes, good. Uh, the word is, uh, comes both in Hebrew and Greek. It literally means one-tenth. That's what the word means. As it is accounted for in the Old Testament, it is not given under the same heaviness of the moral law. So it's not one of the Ten Commandments. It it doesn't even show up as a part of the civil or ceremonial law. Instead, it is a teaching that's specific to carry on the work of God. That was the purpose of the tithe. And it wasn't out of all income. If we were to study it, and again, this study for this morning isn't going to be as in-depth as it can be, uh, but you had all kinds of tradesmen back in the, the time in which the instructions were written in the Jewish culture. But the tithe was supposed to come from those things which the Lord replenished. So from harvests, from crops, from animals. These were the sources out of which the Israelite children were tasked with giving back to God one-tenth. And they came out of a few different harvests, a few different areas of life. Primarily, they would go to the Levites. And the Levites themselves would then tithe to the priests. 
The priests were not given any command to tithe. But if we look at this and just step back from a wide angle, we would see that the purpose of the tithe was to continue the work of God within the community of Israel. Now, there are other purposes. I think that one of the main ones is to teach God's people not to be dependent on themselves. And so you have many other laws that show up for this. Sabbath laws of laying crops uh, dormant on the seventh year. uh, The return and cancellation of all deaths on the 50th year. Many ways by which God wanted to teach his people, be careful depending on your ability and not on mine. So I think this is a subsequent purpose of the time. However, when we now get to the New Testament era, as those who see the fulfillment of God's people in Israel accomplished by Jesus, those followers of Jesus are never commanded to tithe. There is not one commandment in the New Testament that you should tithe. So what do you think, Bonnie? It's going to be a slow week this next week then, right? If, if this is, every, Okay, I, I guess that's it then. Um, every time through the book of Acts that the apostles had opportunity to emphasize tithing, whether that was the nature of them spreading their resources around, they don't say it. Whether that was an awareness of, here's the teachings of Moses, what should we pass to the Gentiles? They don't mention it. Not any one of the obvious times where you would think if this should be a component within the church to carry on the tithe, it never shows up. In fact, every single time the word tithe shows up in the Gospels, it's always negative. It's always Jesus referring to somebody who thinks they have self-righteousness because they give a tenth of all they earn. That's how the word gets used. It also shows up in the book of Hebrews, recounting some giving that was happening, setting in order, um, giving to Melchizedek through Abraham. But not once is it commanded. And yet, do you know what is commanded in in the New Testament? Giving. Giving is throughout the New Testament. So, So why not a tenth? Why not a tithe? And this is what I want us to give our attention to. So four categories that Jesus outlines here for us in this short passage of acts of righteousness. The first is the ministry of giving. I want you to know that giving is a ministry. Jesus frames it this way. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it. Jesus expects that for those who have been imputed with righteousness, those people will be generous people. The evidence of your righteousness should be seen in your life because you are now a changed person, a generous type of a person. The the principle behind this is that generosity is an expression of righteousness. I want to show you a couple examples of this. This from Job chapter 29. This is Job speaking. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and all those who saw me commended me because. Watch what he's doing here. See if you can find generosity and how it's a reflection of righteousness. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. 
I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Do you see what Job's doing? He's living out righteousness in his life. God's righteousness. It's not sourced from Job in any of the same way. It's not sourced in you. It's imputed into you by the work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who's righteous. And if you're clothed in Christ, then that righteousness should be like oozing out of you in generosity. Jesus gives us a really great example of this in the Gospels. This from Matthew chapter 25. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he, and he sits on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put his sheep on the right and the goats on his left. The king will then say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That sounds good. Anybody with me? I want to get in on that. Like, that sounds great. What, let me ask you the question, Jesus. What is the criteria by which I need to come in and, and get access to this? And now, me growing up in an evangelical tradition, and maybe you as well, you may expect the response that says, well, you just need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I, I run into people all the time in Bible studies who have such a disdain for Christians who think at one point in my life I prayed a prayer, but my life doesn't have to look any different. Disdain for the church. Because there is no evidence of any transforming work over what may or may not be, quote, a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I want you to know, you absolutely must have a personal relationship with Jesus. You absolutely must have that. You must know him as your Lord and Savior. Otherwise, you'll be like those who don't know him in Matthew 7. Oh, you did this for me, you did that for me, but depart from me. Some of you help me finish this. Jesus says, for I never, for I never knew you. So understand that this is an essential part of our faith. But I want you to notice how Jesus describes it played out. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you do, what will that look like? Well, here you go. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I love this part because the righteous are going to answer, Lord, when did we do all these? When, when did we do these things? Because for those Jesus is speaking to, they were doing those for those who were in need, that needed an act of generosity in their life. But look how it ends. Uh, Jesus says, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you see the relationship? Do you see the personal relationship component right there? Here's the reality, church. Giving is a ministry in the same way that it is an expression of the work of God in your life. If that's not it for you, you're doing giving wrong. 
If when you give, you think it's because I got to I got to make budget, right? They ain't gonna pay the pastor. He ain't gonna come back and we don't pay, right? Or if you think, oh, geez, I gotta write another check. Like if that's the way in which you're giving, and it's not a ministry of what God's done in your life, you're doing it wrong. In fact, it will lead you to offer God not your best. In fact, not even your life, but rather your leftovers and the little time that you might muster up to give to him. Everybody with me on this? Do you see how Jesus highlights it? It's an act of righteousness, not to be seen by men, but as a ministry of the work of God in and through your life. That's the first one. Secondly, Jesus gives us the motive for giving. What was their motive in verse 2? They're announcing it with trumpets and trophies. I've been to those churches before. Um, I, I remember where the, the preacher, and they tend to be churches that get a little bit of, get a little movement going on, right? I like that. That's okay. But what I don't like is when it comes time to do the offering, they say, who's going to give $100? Can I get $100? And it sounds a little bit like crazy, but ask Emily. Like we've been to those churches. We've seen that type of behavior happen so that the congregation then applauds Everybody who gives in that manner. Is that the right motive to give? It, this is what was happening in Jesus' day. You'd give and then da, 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 they'd announce it with trumpets. Understand this. Those individuals are not giving to God. When they put $10 in, do you know what they're doing? They're buying the praise of men. They're not giving. They're buying. And so the, our motive needs to be transformed here. And this is where I want to say the principle that we're giving is, giving is that giving is actually a blessing in and of itself. To be able to give is itself a blessing. Uh, you will remember Jesus' words um, quoted by Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Uh, Paul says, um, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Church, I want you to know we have to have the right motive and that motive needs to be understood is that giving itself is a gift to be able to to do that. Thirdly, uh, Jesus then gives us the manner in which we are to give. Uh, If you look with me in verse three, he says, so when you give to the needy, here's how to do it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And what I want to share with you on this principle is that why you give. In this case, you'll see the why and the how. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because if my right hand is too generous, my left hand might try to sneak it back. It's too much or too quick. We need this. Don't, don't, don't even let them know what's going on. Because the why and the how you give are more important than the how much and the where and the when. The the manner of your giving is what matters. This from Psalm 51. uh, You do not delight in sacrifice or I brand. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. These are the offerings that God's people were bringing. Gifts and generosity to God. God says, I'm not interested in those. You know what I'm interested in? My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise that. Again, just for sake of time, I don't have the ability to get us all into the book of Malachi and see the way in which God says, just shut the doors already. When you guys give, you're not giving me your best. I don't even want it. You think I need it? 
God says, I, I don't need it. I want your hearts. That's what I want. And so we need to have the right motive when we give. And then the last thing that Jesus tells us here is the merit of giving. What's the result of giving? And if you look with me in verse 4, Jesus says, So that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, there are, there's a temptation among some preachers not to emphasize the rewards of God in giving. And I want to say, bro, just read the Bible. Like, that's exactly what Jesus says. Huh? Look with me back in the text. I'm not making this up, folks, right? Uh, verse 1, uh, it says, if you do, you will have no reward. Uh, verse 2 at the end, I tell you the truth, they've received the reward. Verse 4 at the end, then it's done in secret. The Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. That's, that's the main word that's repeated throughout those four verses. So it's absolutely us understanding that there is a work to be done, a goal behind giving. And here's the principle. This is a big one now. Some people don't think this is true, but what you do in life will have eternal consequences. For those of us who have patterned our lives after a bibliology of giving, hopefully you're there saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm counting on that. That's my whole life. My whole life is devoted to Christ because I know he sees what nobody else will. Here's one example of that. Um, well, well, we'll get to it. Um, so here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, I, I want us to look at those four categories, just very quickly break them down into some biblical principles when it comes to the ministry of giving. The first question I want to offer to you is the question, so where should we be giving? And here's the answer. Wherever God is at work. Um, even though I have so many to get through here, um, I want to spend the most time on this one. Uh, Paul writes this about the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They, watch this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. The, the church in Corinth was like, you, you're helping out the saints in Jerusalem? Can we be part of that? Can, can we get in on that? I, you mean God's doing a work down there? We want to help with it. Can we help with that? I, I think of it as uh, this form of giving like a box of chocolates. A box of chocolates. <laughs> not, not the same way that Forrest Gump has it. That, that You get something different. But if you ever get one of those boxes, anybody for Valentine's Day, you know what I'm talking about? Um, when we do, it's like the whole family will gather around the box. By the way, please do not give us any more of these. Uh, we don't need any more. But you, you'll try one and it's like, oh, wow, that's so good. And then you know what everybody else thinks? I want to try too. Like, can I try that one too? That's just how it works. This is the same attitude you should have when it comes to giving. You and I should be the type of Christians that when we look and we'd be like, wait, God's doing a work over there. Can we be, can we be part of that? Can I, can I get in on that? Can I try that too? This is how God wants us to give wherever God is at work. Now, I would want to submit to you, hopefully that's in your local church. If God is not at work in your local church, come and see, specifically, come, please come see me afterwards. But like that, that's where we should see God at work, first of all, in our local church. But I want you to know God is at work 
everywhere. And I, I want to emphasize something to us that I don't get a chance to talk about enough, but this is a particular strategy when it comes to our mission giving here at Grace. We, you heard the list of missionaries, right, right? Folks in the back, you see the wall right there with the whole world on it? We have our missionaries and their contact information listed right there. And we, as a church, through our budget, give them next to nothing. We give them $40 a month, which is next to nothing. Right? Any one of us individually could make up that much. But there's a strategy behind this. What I want to challenge the whole church to is that you have a regular expression of giving to the cooperative efforts of our budget, right? Right here at Grace. Bonnie, you get those checks all the time, right? But I would love it if every person in here adopted a missionary and that you are able to give in a way where God is at work beyond the four walls of our little expression here in the UP. Here's why this is so important. When a church alone gives to missions, it is only the leadership committees that then get the interest and information of that giving. But do you know what will happen if you specifically give? Do you know what those missionaries are going to do? Who are they going to write their updates to? Not me and Jesse. Do you know who they're going to give updates to? Directly to you. You will become somebody who is partnering in God's work. This is why I want to take a a big deal on this, because that's what's emphasized in Corinth, right? The Corinthians were like, wait a minute, you got missionaries going to Jerusalem? Can we help with that? Come on, guys, let's go. Let's all get together. Let's help. And they, by their own efforts, decided to be a part of the work that God was doing. So this is when it comes to the ministry of giving. What's the primary uh, principle we ought to operate by? Well, you give wherever God is at work. You guys with me on that? Amen? Yes or no? All right, number two. Uh, we give corporately. Corporately. It's because you belong to a family. Uh, yesterday, it's Saturday, it's kind of a beautiful day. I come downstairs and I see both of my children doing nothing. Now, you'll hear me praise them at many times, but this is a moment where I was like, I got to be dad now for a minute because you guys need some chores. It's a whole different sermon on the importance of chores. I'll get to that one someday, but... Why, why give chores to the kids? Why? Not just because they need something to do, but because they're all part of what? They're, they're all part of my family. It's not just my wife's job. It's not just my job. You're in this family too. And because you're in this family, you contribute to the work of this family. I want you to see this is the attitude of the earliest Christians. Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Again, in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, Paul's writing to the church now about the collection for the Lord's people do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income when was this when are they to do it first day of every week what day is that by the way it's not Monday for that's today that's this that's the corporate worship of the gathering of God's people he's saying pool your money together why Because you're a family, right? All all of you should be contributing. It it shouldn't look like there's just just some of us who are contributing to the work here and not everybody. You're all part of this family and there's a work that God has established for us, specific for us. And you and I all need to be part of that work. And so when it comes to the ministry of giving, it needs to be seen corporately. And then the third is similar to it. It's also cooperative. It's cooperative. 
So corporate, meaning all of us work together because our identity is in one family. And cooperative, meaning that we're going to help to meet various needs together. Uh, These verses here from Romans 15. Same offering going to Jerusalem. Look what Paul says to the church. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service for the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. Isn't that interesting? For for if the Gentiles have shared with the Jews spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. That's another part of the cooperative work. We, We owe it as a service to one another, not just here, but to churches beyond our local expression. Uh, here at Grace, we're, um, we're in a season where um, we don't know what the building's going to cost. I don't know if you remember that, like that's happening. There's no updates yet. They met. There's no updates on any of that. I've had three leaders from different churches all approach me. One of them asked, hey, do you guys need some money? We'll help you out. If you, if you get a bill you can't pay, you just give us a call. Another church leader said, if they kick you out, you can use our building. We, we've got it available. You just call me up, no problem. Your whole church can be there. Another one asked, hey, how's that going? This was the most recent. He said, Would, do you need me to do some fundraising work? If that's, and I, every time I'm saying, no one's told us, we don't know what the situation is. But what, what do you see these Christians doing? Every single one of them looking at the cooperative work of the service to give and to share with one another because we're all in this thing together. Uh, the other thing I want to highlight for you is every, every one of those three church leaders I spoke to, our church has worked with them in the past. So you, you know and you'd be familiar with many of these churches because we've worked with them in the past. So I just want you to see how this is the design of God to use. I skipped over the Philippian passage. Same idea here, right? The church in Philippi is giving and receiving and Paul's commending them for that even when nobody else did. But there you go. That's the ministry of giving. I'm going to move a little quicker for time through the rest of these. Uh, on the motive of giving, how should we give? What is the why behind our giving? Number one, first fruits. Um, I hope that you've noticed that as we've gone through this entire study, every one of my first applications has been give to God what? Second, third, fourth. Give to God what? First. That will get you further down the road than any other application possible. Give to God first. And we might just think for a second and think why? Where does that come from? Why give to God first? What's the deal with first fruits? And it has to do with honor. Has to do with honor. You, been, you ever been to a birthday party? Do you remember when you were a little kid? Birthday parties, remember those? Who gets the first slice of cake? Birthday, birthday kid, right? Birthday girl, birthday boy. They, they get the first slice. Why? Because you want to honor. Because you want to honor them. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain brings some of the veggies. That's all it says. He brings some. That's what the text says. What did Abel bring? Do you remember? Abel brought from the firstborn and he brought the best of what he had. Now, I want to submit to you the reason why you and I in our motive for giving need to give our first slice, the first slice to God. is not because I'm telling you to do it. (laughs) If that's why, you're doing it wrong. You give to God first because God first loved you. It's got to be from love. We've looked at this verse before, but 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I give all I possess to the poor, 
Wow. I mean, unbelievable. You gave all you possessed to the poor. You gave your body to the hardships, but he didn't have what? But if I don't have love, what, what's Paul's conclusion? It was, it was worthless. Like you just totally wasted all you possess. Because it must be accompanied by love. And so I submit to you, church, that the motive for giving to God must be first, but it must be first because of love for God. If that's not why you give, you shouldn't be giving. You're doing it wrong. All right, after first fruits, uh, we need to give freely. We need to give freely. This means that anytime you feel pressure to give that's not able to be connected with love, you're probably giving the wrong way. If you're giving out of fear, if you're giving out of obligation, you're, you're giving wrong. This from Second uh, Corinthians, Paul says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. When you, when you and I give to God, it needs to be free. This is why Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because otherwise you might start to think too much about this. Think about who gets credit for it. No, it must be given freely. This is another big one when it comes to our motive. It must be without reservation. Uh, there have been times in many of the variety of ministries that I've been in when people give, but they give only if you're going to use it for this. I'm not giving unless you use it this way. And to those people, I want to say, you should probably keep your money. Yeah, because that's not the way we give to God. Uh, when you give to God, first of all, it's out of love, it's complete trust, and it's free, but it's also to be used according to God's design, not your demands. Otherwise, you're buying. You're not giving in those instances. There's many examples of this, but just two for us to see here. Acts chapter 4. Uh, there were no needy persons among them for from time to time. Those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. They didn't say where it needed to go. Who was it that God had um, determined for the use of those funds? Who was it? It was the apostles. And it was the apostles who distributed it to anyone who had need. There was nobody who came and said, well, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks if you give it to this person only, because I don't want to give to that person over there. I know them. They looked at me bad once. No, that's not how you're to give. Uh, this from Acts chapter 11. The disciples, this is back in Jerusalem. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters in Judea. They did this by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Who is God going to hold accountable for the use of that money? The elders of the church are going to be held accountable for that. And so when we give, we don't give second, we don't give out of compulsion, and we don't give with reservation. We give to God and trust that God will use and judge those for how it's used. All right, how about the manner of giving? Here's one that we should all know. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's our passage in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Did it say 10%? Is that what it said there? Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Next, we are to give proportionately. Well, they, they only gave that much, so I should only have to give that much. Hold on, that's not the design of God here. If you've been given much, God expects what? Much. 
If you've been given little, God expects little there as well. He, he knows what's going on. Well, he has resourced each of us differently. This is, a, this is why I don't know who gives what, and I never will. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I don't want to know that, but um, each of us is going to be doing this accountable to God alone, not accountable to any pastor or board member. This, again, we saw it already, but from 1 Corinthians 16, now to the collection from the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week, that's as we gather, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So dependent upon where you are at for God's ability in your life, you need to decide and set apart in your heart an amount. And that can look different for different people. Again, this from Acts 11, the disciples each, according to his ability, is giving. So we give cheerfully. We give proportionately, not a not a 10%. I, I want to submit to you that I think 10% is a good amount. I think that that's a good amount to shoot for. But when people are just getting started and learning how to give, just give anything. Just start with anything. A dollar, whatever it is. Whatever it is, just start by using it to worship God by giving. Eventually, I think 10% is good. And if I'm honest, in America, we could give 80% and be fine. Probably we could. We, we look at the rest of the world sometimes and what they have. So I don't expect any of us to carry that as a number. My only point is, um, I think 10% is a good amount. And dependent upon where God's blessed you in your income, it may be more, it may be less. And lastly, we give secretly. We read this already, right? Jesus says, do it in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But from Mark 12, this is a great one. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in, and he watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. It'd be kind of a fun day, wouldn't it? Any of you like to watch people? That's kind of fun. I'm not judging Jesus. I'm just saying that would have been fun. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything that she had to live on. By the way, don't do that. Please don't do that. This right here in the context of both Matthew and Mark's gospel is an indictment against the work of the temple. Do you remember the evil that's going on in the temple? Well, they have put this heavy burden here on this poor widow. She's giving all she had. My point to you is this. Who saw it? Everybody catch that? God saw it. And so I want you to know as well, God sees what we give. And that's enough. Please don't tell me. Good luck to bon- pray for Bonnie. I don't know how she and Lois even do that. But um, yeah, when you give, give cheerfully, give proportionally, give secretly. All right, lastly, on the merit of giving. This is what's happening when you give. Number one, there is a transference of the temporary for the eternal. This is the best exchange there is on earth. Besides your own everlasting soul. When we take the material possessions that we have and we offer them to God to be used by them, what we're doing is we're taking something that will be lost and we're investing in something that will last forever. It's a really good exchange to make. God gives us this opportunity regularly to be a part of, and I hope that it shows up as a form of your worship and discipline in your life. Here's where I want you to see this taught in the New Testament. Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then you heard from 
Bonnie the rest of that reading, uh, though it was from Luke. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. So be very careful storing up things here. Here's the one from Luke. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Worldly wealth is going to go. It's going to burn. It's all going to be gone. But there is an eternal transaction that happens of taking something temporary and using it for the work of God. That's that's part of the merit. Uh, Secondly is reciprocity. It's kind of a word we don't hear that often. Um, Reciprocity is um, a way by which God will judge you. Here's a, here's a heads up for all the church. God's going to judge you and me. Right? He will. So, so how is he going to do that? Well, here it is. The way you judge others, he will judge you. Uh, the generosity that you are with others, he'll be generous with you. This isn't me saying this. This is what the New Testament teaches here in Luke 6. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn And you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to just use a caution. This shaken down, running over, many times in churches, that's used to talk about money. He's not talking about money. He's talking about forgiveness. I'm wanting you to see it as a principle of reciprocity. That's the principle here that matters. So make sure that you don't leave here being like, yeah, Pastor Ryan's talking about, I'm going to get rich by giving to God. Nope, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about this principle of being judged how we judge and being given how we give. That's called reciprocity. You'll see here it again in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Do you see how it works? Part of the reason that we're generous in our giving is because God has set up a merit of giving in terms of the principle of reciprocity. Lastly is this divine acknowledgement and reward. Luke 14, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the places where we give are investing in those, not that we're repaid here on earth, that's buying righteousness, but rather we give in such a way that we recognize God sees it. God sees it. He'll acknowledge that. That was the promise right there. And he will reward you. Again, if you look with me in the text, this is where we're wrapping up. Verse 4, so that your giving is in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I just want to apologize. Thank you all for um, tracking with me this far in a really full sermon. There's a lot of information here. Every one of these points is worthy of its own 40-minute message. And so there's so much more I want to say. I am hoping I'm not leaving you confused in any way. If I am, please come speak with me. But I do want to leave you with a little bit of an evaluation. If you look in your sermon notes, you'll see four questions that I would like you to answer. Four questions to ask yourself when it comes to your own stewardship of money and being generous and giving. The first is this. Do I, when I give, do I give regularly 
as one of many who together honor God's work. Again, I want to highlight the opportunity that there is to support our missionaries. Um, a, A small amount. Imagine, I looked it up. We've got over 40 families here at Grace. Do you know how much money if we just each gave 20 bucks would be to a missionary? 20 bucks. Can you afford 20 bucks a month? <laughs> yes, right? 20 bucks a month. We could all do that. If, if every family did that, that'd be over almost $10,000 to a missionary. As a, as a former missionary, that'd be amazing doing that. I want to submit to you again. When you give, do you do it regularly? Do you do it one from many who together are working to honor God's work? Second question. When I give, uh, do I give to God first? as an act of love and worship without demands. Is, is that a definition of how I give? Am, am I giving to God first, second, third, fourth? How, how am I doing that? I, I think biblical model here that I'm challenging you by is that you give to God first and you do so out of love and worship and you do so without demands. Third question, when you give, do you give cheerfully? Do you give an amount according to your own ability? And do you do so without seeking attention? That's essentially the whole passage that we just studied in Matthew's gospel. Lastly, when I give, do I give in Jesus's name? Do I give as one led by the spirit and only to be seen by the father alone? I'm hoping and I'm pretty confident I'm preaching to the choir a little bit on this one because um, you are amazing. This little church is amazing for the, for the work that we are able to accomplish uh, for God. Um, our budget has never, has never suffered in all my time here, Bonnie. Um, I think we overspend every year. I get in trouble for that a little bit when we meet at the end of the year, right? We've overspent every year. But do you know what has never happened? We've never overspent the giving. Isn't that amazing? God, God has always provided more than what we sent out and spent of that year. And I would hope for you and I that the characterization of our stewardship of money is that we don't do it in our name, we do it in Jesus' name. I, I can't convince you to give money to a missionary. Who, who should lead you in that? You, you, yeah, and, and that to be beyond, beyond the scope of this church. I, I hope that you are responding to moments of being generous that I and Bonnie and no one here will ever know of. That you just are led by the Spirit to be generous because God sees every dime. He sees and he knows and he will continue to provide for you both the harvest of righteousness. That's my work of the ministry of giving. And he will give you more seed so that you are able to continue to be generous. Thank you for your attention through this, our study. Let's bow and pray. Ask God's help to this end.